Good morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, Nolan is correct. I will be shorter on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So if I go like four minutes longer today, I'm banking my minutes, right? Um, we're going to cover like 13 or 14 chapters today. So okay. uh, It's fun to see. I look around. I see some of our college students home. It's fun to have you guys home. It's fun to be together. Um, my name is Jeff, if we haven't met, and as I said, we're going to be diving into the story of Joseph, which is an amazing story. Uh, it's, an, I will talk a little about it. It's a serious story. It's an intense story, uh, but it's fantastic. If you, if you aren't familiar with it, you might want to read Genesis 37 to 50 this week. It's a really fun story. They even made a musical about it, right? Like, it's, a, it's just a good story. And we'll talk about it, or I mean, we're We'll talk about what we're doing in this series, but, but you can read the story of Joseph as like a good news, bad news story. It's like he gets good news, he gets bad news, and we'll, we'll reframe it in a couple different ways. But because of that, I have a, a really bad baseball joke for you. So, Two baseball-loving friends agree that whichever one dies first will come back and let the other know if there's baseball in heaven. The first one to die contacts his friend and says, the good news is that there is baseball in heaven. The bad news is that you're pitching on Friday. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I seek applause for my really bad jokes. That's good. Uh, that, so one way of talking about the Joseph stories is a good news, bad news story. But as we'll see, there's so much more to the Joseph story than that. And what we've been doing in this series, kind of prepping for Christmas as we've been going through Genesis, is we're looking for Jesus in the Genesis story. Uh, I think I said this last week, but, but it's just a reminder that we are preparing, right, for this baby to be born, but it's a reminder to all of us, maybe news to some of us, that Jesus doesn't just all of a sudden enter the scene when he enters into our world as a baby. There has never been a time when Jesus wasn't. And if that, like, blows your mind, I'm okay with that. I don't know if you've ever done this, like lay in bed at night and try to think about eternity past or eternity future. It freaks me out sometimes, but it's real, and that's God. God has always been. Uh, even before, I mean, you just go back to the beginning of time and the beginning of our created world that's not the beginning of God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been in this dance of love, and they've just invited us into it. And so what we've, we've done a little bit of this because the Apostle Paul will tell us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Then we, we go back and we're reading the Old Testament as Christians, and we've had these pretty cool stories of, of whether it's a dream or a, a unique wrestling match with a mysterious man who, through whom Jacob sees the face of God. But we've had these encounters where we've, I, at least I've been very comfortable saying this is what we would say is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Right, our fancy theology word around Christmas is this is the incarnation, God dwelling among us, God with us, God becoming human. It's the incarnation. And so we can talk about before Christmas, we can talk about the pre-incarnate Jesus because he's always been. And so we've looked at some of those stories, and those are cool to look at. We won't see any of those encounters in the Joseph story today, but we've seen them in weeks past. But the other way we've been looking for Jesus, and we'll do this pretty intently this morning, is look for some of these major themes 
in the big story. I would love to continue to introduce our church or familiarize or make us really comfortable with these major themes because they get repeated again and again and again. I mean, the biblical authors will intentionally craft what they're writing in a way to to remind us of these stories, these major themes. And so they're all major themes that culminate their fulfillment is in Jesus. And so that's why if we're going to read the Bible as Christians, we, go, we can go looking for these themes. And, and maybe actually we know a lot of these, some of these themes, the first theme we'll look at actually, the people of God missed until the crucifixion and resurrection. And so, but, but we, now that we know about the resurrection, we're like the disciples as John describes them. These things maybe didn't make sense to us at first, but now that, the, now that we know the resurrection, now that we understand the resurrection, now, oh, now we see it. Now it makes sense. So we've been looking at, that's what we've been doing, and that's what we'll do pretty intently with the Joseph story. If you want to flip with me in your Bible or follow along, we're going to start. The, the Joseph story begins in Genesis 37, and we're told he's 17 years old. He's a teenager. And Joseph, really, if you look at the whole story, if you actually read through it, Joseph is presented to us as a man with incredible integrity and character. I mean, he doesn't do a lot wrong in the story, but he, he comes off a little foolish in the first chapter because he's a little bit no offense, teenagers, he's a little bit arrogant, kind of thinks he knows everything, he's 17. A little bit arrogant, a little bit ignorant. It's just the folly of being, we've all lived through it. And I'm telling you, if you're 27, 28, and you're offended, or 17 or 18, and you're offended, when you're 27 and 28, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm not mad at Jeff anymore, I get it. <laughs> I was an idiot when I was a teenager. I was an idiot when I was a teenager. Genesis 37, verse 3 Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, the text says he loved him more because he was born in his old age, but we know, if you know the story, we know that there's 12 sons of Jacob, and there's four mothers of those sons, and Rachel is Jacob's favorite wife. So he's born in his old age, but really, but really in the narrative, really, Joseph and Benjamin are Jacob's two favorites because they're Rachel's boys. And here Joseph is his favorite because he's the oldest of Rachel's boys. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, a coat of many colors. You're probably, even if you're brand new to church, you're, I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's in the Bible. That's the story. But his brothers hated Joseph. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, there's a lot of sibling rivalry and division in the story of Genesis. His brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. So we'll come back to the dream. I just want to get us going. I want to get us into the story even because if you're like me over the next two weeks, you're probably going to be around family. And maybe, maybe even as I begin to talk about this story where there's a favorite in the family, maybe you're like, oh, that's me, I'm Joseph. <laughs> or maybe you're like, oh, that's my brother or my sister. And honestly, I've hated them too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know your story, right? But we all have stories. But I thought, here's a quote. I want to take us a little bit deeper. It's kind of modernized a little bit, but but when his brothers walked into the room, their dad might ask them how the flocks were doing or if they had completed their tasks. But when Joseph walked, oh, when Joseph walked in, Jacob's eyes would light up and his face would beam. Joseph, he was the one their dad bragged about and told stories about. Joseph got to stay up later, play longer, work less, and get away with more than any of them. 
Jacob knew how Joseph was doing in school and what his friends' names were, Jacob was a little fuzzy about the details of his other son's lives. We'll just get you into the story. Maybe, maybe you can identify a little bit more. Well, Joseph has this dream. Now, he has two dreams. We're going to see there's a series of dreams that kind of drive the story of Joseph along in Genesis he has a dream, and they're, I mean, you can read them, but they're both basically about how important Joseph is. The first one is a little bit more agricultural, where you have these sheaves of grain bowing down. The second one's even better. The sun, moon, and 11 stars. He has 11 brothers. You can't miss it. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bow down to Joseph. So again, I don't know that it's like evil intent. It's almost just more teenage arrogance and ignorance, but I just imagine Joseph being like, hey, guys. I had a dream last night that the whole universe was bowing down to me. So weird, right? What do you think? What do you think? They get real mad. They hate him for it. I mean, it just drives their whole narrative about their brother. So it's good you're laughing. We're, we're enjoying it. It's a good story. But I'm going to get a little intense because this hit me this week. And one of the things for those of us who've been around the church for a long time is we get really, really, really familiar with these stories and we don't think about it as much. And I, I want to just reword some of the language that's going to unfold in the Joseph story for you a little bit, because I want to drive it home a little bit and make it more, maybe more intense than you want to feel this morning, but it's also real, and so I'm going to do it. So one day, Joseph goes out. Uh, he goes out to the field to his brothers, and they hate him, and they're like, let's kill him. I mean, you read it. There's interesting. There's a whole lot of stuff that we didn't, can't talk about this, but there's this dialogue that, let's kill him. No, let's leave him in the pit. No, there's a caravan of traitors coming by. They choose to sell their brother into slavery. So it's a well-known fact of the story. But I, I told you I've had a few different voices this week as I've tried to get deeper into the Genesis story and get a Jesus perspective. And one of, the, one of the voices has been the Bible Project podcast. And they were talking about the story of Genesis. And they were talking about Joseph. And they were talking about this scene. And they said, you know what this is? So this is human trafficking. Joseph is being sold into slavery, and he's going to a place where he has no home, he has no money, he has no identity, no money, no place to live. He's, he's as vulnerable as you could be. And I, I know the story. Oh, yeah, sold into slavery. Thousands of years I have. And, but when they said, no, this is a story of human trafficking, it's just, it just felt like to me like all of a sudden those thousands of years of gap between us and Joseph just went away. Because, I mean, one of the most tra I think one of the most tragic realities of the world that we live in is that human trafficking is happening. And I remember when I first started to learn about it, I was, oh, it's on the other side. Of the, it's not even on the other side of the ocean, right? It's in America. It's a tragic story. And it's this, this is a real story. So it's one of the things I love about the Bible, though, is it, it really does give us a complete picture of the depravity of humanity. I mean, we should, as human beings, step back and ask ourselves, how can this happen? How can this happen under our watch? How can, this, how can people do this to other people? It's happening. It's happening in our world. It's happening in our country. It's tragic. It's not just an ancient reality. And so you get it. I mean, it, it, the, the Bible's just honest about the depravity, and it's just honest about, I mean, it's just honest. It's, just a, it's a powerful book. And so we get further into the story of Joseph. He's, he's surviving. And this will lead us into our first theme. He's suffering. I mean, he's being human trafficked, betrayed by his own family. He's suffering. That's our first theme that I want us to see. We'll spend a little bit of time on this. But it's this theme of a suffering servant. If you were 
If you were even with us the very first week, I read from Luke 24. Why are we doing this? Why are we looking for Jesus in the Old Testament? And I read from Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus is talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he, he's explaining the scriptures to them. And his summary is, didn't you know the Messiah had to come and suffer, and then he'd be exalted to glory? I want you to see that this theme, this theme of descent and then ascent, is the, it's the story of Joseph. Again, no one saw this, but now that we have eyes, that we're like, oh my goodness, Joseph is just a forerunner. <laughs> it makes total sense. When you understand the Joseph story, it gives texture to the Jesus story. So what happens? So Joseph is sold into slavery. Uh, he's going to end up serving Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, it's a whole other story, but Potiphar's wife is going to betray Joseph. And he's going to end up in prison. I mean, it just keeps getting worse. Descend, descend, descend. He goes, I mean, you think about his dream. When he dreams, hey, I'm dreaming. I'm 17 and the whole universe is bowing down to me. And then it's just descent, 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 descent. All the way, all the way to prison, all the way to the pit, which honestly can symbolically or metaphorically just represent, and especially in the book of Psalms, it's just death. Joseph just descends all the way down, we could say, into exile in Egypt. The death and the pit. It's a story of descent. But then what happens in the story of Joseph? Well, he's, again, dreams. He's going to have this cupbearer and this baker, and they're going to have dreams, and Joseph's going to interpret them in prison, and then they're going to work out the way Joseph said, and the cupbearer's going to remember later on when Pharaoh has dreams, oh, I remember this guy in prison, and so they're going to go back, finally get him out of prison, and Joseph, like overnight, is going to go from the lowest of lows to the right hand of power at Pharaoh. I mean, it's just incredible descent to ascent. That's the story. And in many ways, it's a, it's a pattern that prepares us for the story of Jesus, descent into death and resurrection to the right hand of the Father. I could say it this way. God turns, in the story of Joseph, God turns the evil humans keep doing to Joseph. He turns it around and he weaves a story of exaltation and restoration out of it. And we'll talk more about what that restoration looks like in a little bit. Or let me say it this way, just so you catch the theme. God appoints the suffering servant to rule. But his rule involves him descending down into death, if you will, on behalf of others, so that through his suffering and death, he can be exalted and then become a source of life to others. That's the story of Joseph. If you read through it, you'll see it. And it's the story of Jesus. I want to read to you what I think is the first ever written down Christmas carol. I think the first ever sung Christmas carols are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke wrote his Gospel later than Paul wrote his letters. And I really believe Philippians chapter 2 may be the first ever Christmas carol that's ever been written down. I love it. And it's this pattern from the story of Joseph. Have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has because we're disciples learning to be like Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or as something to use for his own advantage. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And listen to this. He took the humble position of a slave. And this is Christmas, he was born as a human being. But his descent, descent, descent. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and descended, died a criminal's death on a cross. But then immediately, it's just like this. 
boom, all of a sudden, God elevates him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. I love this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And I like to say hallelujah. That's good news. But you see in the story of Joseph this pattern that is fulfilled. I mean, you could even say in a sense, when you talk about exaltation, who really does the universe bow down? I mean, Jesus is really the ultimate fulfillment of this story. Well, I want to say one thing just for a practical reason, as it may be helpful during this season, and then I want to move on to my second thing I want to point out. But, but I was thinking a little bit, of, you know, this kind of starts with a dream. And I was thinking about the dream that Joseph has. Oh, my brothers are going to bow down to me. And we're going to eventually get there. We'll see it at the very end of the sermon this morning. We'll see them bow down to him. It's going to happen. But it's just interesting that that, Joseph just gets this little dream and he has, let's just say it this way, so much is left out of the dream. Am I right? (laughs) So much is left out of the dream. I got this dream, people are going to bow down to me, but the hard part, I mean literally when I say hard part, human trafficking, the hard part gets completely left out. And it did raise a question for me to think about, I want to you to think about it a little bit. Maybe, maybe the Spirit of God will lead you down a variety of roads, but I want to ask the question, can you, because I think Joseph did this, and, and we'll talk a little bit about how and why, but can you hold on to the dream God gives you when you're in the midst of the struggle? When you're down in the pits? When there's no earthly reason for you to have hope, can you hold on? to the dream that God gives you in the midst of the struggle. Or we'll end by talking about the struggle of forgiveness because it's very real, it's very hard. We've already raised this issue of human trafficking from his brothers. What's Joseph going to do to his brothers? How's he going to respond to this someday, right? Joseph held on to the dream in the midst of the struggle. There's years of ups and downs, and every time there seems to be a little bit of an up, he always got knocked down farther, and it's 13 years later, I mean 13 years, when he is in the dungeon, thinking he's as far away from that dream of others bowing down to him than he's ever been, and he can either despair or he can hold on to that he holds on, and eventually God moves. Now, how does he hold on to the dream? We could... We could spend more time on this. I just want to read. I, we got a bunch of verses, but I really want to read just one verse from Genesis 39. He's in prison after Potiphar's wife lied about him. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. In fact, just two more verses or three more verses is going to say again, the Lord was with Joseph in prison. And if you pause to think about that, 13 years of being human trafficked, things just keep getting worse and worse, and you say, well, if God is with him, why is he there? It's a fair question. And it does raise one of these tensions, and I like to talk about how mature Christians learn to hold things in tension. God is somehow, he's with Joseph in the pit in Egypt. And somehow in the midst of this dark time, God is showing Joseph his faithful love. 
part of the tension that you and I need to learn to hold living in a broken world but serving a good God is, is accepting the reality that God doesn't present, he, he doesn't prevent all of these bad things from happening to Joseph. He doesn't prevent it. But that doesn't mean that God isn't with him. And that's a tension that, I mean, it's, it's actually going to take you maturity and some time with Jesus to, to learn how to hold that tension. But it's very real, I will tell you, as a follower of Jesus, very real. God does not prevent every bad thing from happening to you and me, but he's still with us. <laughs> I mean, that's the story of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. And he wants to show us his faithful love, even in the midst of that. All right, so you've got this Joseph, he's in the dungeon, and then overnight, basically, he ends up in the palace of Pharaoh. This is the next thing I want to move to. It sounds a little bit like a rags to riches story, doesn't it? Little orphan Annie, right? Like, he's as low as low can be, and he's literally about as high as you can be. I mean, unimaginable turnaround for his life. And for a lot of people, that's the end of the story. Rags to riches, the end. Once upon a time, pit, prison, palace, the end, right? That's a, I mean, that's a good movie. But it's not the end. It's not even the point of Joseph's story. And it's never the end of the story for those of us who want to serve God. What do I mean by that? Well, let me say it this way, and then I'll unpack it a little bit. But Joseph's story is not a rags-to-riches story. It's a John the Baptist story. It's actually such a good Advent story, and I'll, I'll make it clear. But this was kind of, I've had a lot of aha moments with my understanding of the Joseph story through the years. This was really my aha moment. I think because I was trying to read the Joseph story through the lens of Jesus in a way I never have before. But I think I was able to see some things, actually with the help of some other people too, but, but I was able to rethink some things in the light of the story of, of Joseph in the light of Jesus. And so it's changed the way I view things a little bit with that story. I'll explain what I mean in a second, but let me, let me have a, a moment of vulnerability and personalness with you. For those of you who've been a part of Cross, I've been kind of walking through this journey. This will probably be the last time for a while I mentioned my dad dying. But my dad died, most of you know, when I was 11 years old, he died from cancer. And he died just a few days before he turned 44. Guess what I am today? Just a few days before I turned 44. I turned 44 at the end of December. And so there is a sense that I'm like right on that cusp as I try to like think out the day my dad died. And I'm like, there's a piece of me that feels like, I mean, my dad had cancer. We kind of knew it was coming. I, I, I'm, I'm, my life is in God's hand, but, I, but by all intents and purposes, I'm pretty sure I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And I wake up tomorrow and I'm going to have a day my dad never had. I mean, there's a piece, I mean, that's why it's just been on my mind. Like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> it's like this gift in my, in my mind. Because I know, hopefully for most of you, don't, you don't know this, but when you grow up in a home where your parent dies at a young age, it shapes you. And, and it just, it just, it's not like you, you say it out loud, or it's not like I, I like bought 20 different life insurance policies that all culminate before I'm 44 just in case, you know, like, I, I didn't, I'm not planning on dying. But in your subconscious, it's just like, when I think, because I'm a boy, and when I think of what it means to be a, dad, a man, I think of my dad, and I can't picture my dad beyond 44. I, I, I have no, like my dad died before he turned 44, so I can't. So when I think about myself being a man, I, I, I have trouble thinking about myself beyond 44. 
It just shapes the way you, and I know my sisters wrestle. You just kind of like, I'm going I'm to die when I'm 44. It's just what's going to happen. So here's the thing. As far as I know, I mean, my life's in God's hands, but I, I'm planning on waking up tomorrow. And I'm, I'm planning on preaching next week because you're ready for a shorter sermon. I know I'm planning on being here next week. So, so what, what, what does that mean? It means my story is changing. I've kind of lived my whole life thinking, oh, the duration of my life is 44 years, but now I'm like, oh, it might be longer. And that's a, that's a good change, right, for me. I'm, like, I'm excited to see what it's looked like for my son to have a dad longer into his life. Like, I'm just excited for that. But my story is changing. I need to rethink some things. I want to do that for you a little bit with this Joseph story. I, I, I want to maybe help you rethink the Joseph story a little bit. But then, and you'll see where I'm going with this second point, but I, I kind of hope that then, because of the world that we live in, I, I like to talk about modern-day Babylon. You and I are inundated with so many different messages, and I, I want to challenge some of that this morning as well. I want to rewrite some stories for us. So what do I, what, what, let, me, let me get specific here. Here you've got this story, this rags-to-riches story of Joseph. And I told you, he's got incredible character and integrity. He's faithful. And if, you're, if, you're, if you do a quick reading and you allow your modern-day Babylon lens to overwhelm your Jesus lens, then here's, here's how you'll summarize the story of Joseph. Oh, he was a young man. He was faithful. He went through all kinds of suffering. But God blessed him with power and position. I mean, God made Joseph a success. Rags to riches. What a good story. There's probably 20 movies you could go home and watch with that exact story. But that's not the point of the Joseph story. In fact, you've missed a lot. And I, I think for years I've missed a lot <laughs> with the Joseph story. If you go back tonight or later today and read through Genesis 41 and you think about what's going on, you'll get a little bit more detail around it. I'm just going to read one verse. But, but what you'll see in Genesis 41 is... Joseph has now, it's like the overnight ascent. He's been elevated to the right hand of the most powerful man alive, to Pharaoh. And he's, he's got so much power and position and wealth. I mean, it's probably just he has no idea what to do with all of it. But you go back there and you read, and, and Joseph's being given an Egyptian name. And he's living in an Egyptian home. And you, you know the story you've been reading through Genesis. That's not where he's supposed to be. And so if you were to say to Joseph, oh, man, you're a success, you're living the blessed life, he'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm living in the wrong house. I'm with the wrong family, and I've been given the wrong name. I'm in the wrong land. How do you, how do you think I'm living the blessed life? So let me just make one place where I think this is crystal clear, but Genesis 41, verse 50, Joseph's going to have two sons. They're actually very important in other parts of the story of Israel. The first son is Manasseh, verse 51, God made me forget, because, I mean, Joseph knows real pain. I mean, there's at least eight times where he weeps in Genesis. Fourteen chapters, thirteen, eight times he weeps. I mean, it's a, he knows pain, folks. But look at verse 52, Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. That language of fruitful should remind us of the original Genesis blessing, be fruitful and multiply. God has not left me. God is still with me. He has made me fruitful, but I'm in the land of my grief. I'm in the land of my affliction. This is not my home. 
Do not call me a success. This is not where I want to be. So what happens then? Joseph is elevated to this place and this famine, right? This is part of the broader story, but Pharaoh has these dreams and these seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And so Joseph's going to lead and save up the food so they can survive the, the famine. Uh, and his brothers are, you know, back at home and they're running out of food. So they come to Egypt to survive. And this is actually one of my favorite parts of the, of the story is the way this plays out. You'll, if you pay attention, you'll get language from Genesis 22 where God is testing Abraham with Isaac. Joseph is kind of going to play the place of God and he's going to test his brothers. And you can get into this, but he's going to recreate a couple different scenarios where he's going to see, will my brothers sell out a brother to protect themselves like they did with me all those years ago? And so he's actually going to craftily work this out to where his younger brother, Benjamin, is going to be with everyone and he's going to get obvious public favoritism, double portions. And then he's going to frame Benjamin... And he's going to create a scenario where he's going to give his brothers an easy opportunity to choose themselves and leave Benjamin behind. I mean, there's this great tension, and you're reading through it, and that's what I mean. It's a good story. What, what are the brothers going to do? Well, and this is another theme, which we'll talk a teeny bit about, but you can see this one. This isn't as much with Joseph. It's with someone else that we'll talk about. But, but one of the brothers is going to stand up and say, Joseph, you tell me if this sounds like a gospel. Take me instead. Let me take my brother's place. That's what one of the brothers is going to do, and that's going to be the critical, and we'll talk about which brother that is in a second, but that's the critical moment for, for Joseph when he, because they don't, they don't recognize it's him. It's been years. They have no idea. He's dressed differently. He's talking differently. He doesn't want them to know it's him, but he knows it's them. And, and, and when this happens, take me instead. Joseph, I mean, he, he just breaks down because he sees that, that, that they have changed. So Genesis 45, let's read this, verse 3. He's revealing himself to his brothers. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. I mean, just, they never saw that coming. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. I want you to notice why. Because it's really important to the point I want to make. <laughs> to preserve your lives. Why God send Joseph? To preserve your lives. This famine has been ravaged. The land that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors, to preserve a remnant. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an, ad, an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. God did this. God sent me here to save you, to preserve your life, to serve you. Now, I want to go a step further because this is where we start to connect the dots to Jesus. I mentioned this brother who said, take me instead. The brother's name is Judah. It's Judah. So who are the descendants of Judah? Well, one of his descendants is this incredible king named David. 
And then, of course, another descendant is this king of kings named Jesus. Remember when I told you the Joseph story is not a rags to riches story, it's a John the Baptist story? I think we could this morning, as we're reading Genesis in light of Jesus, say, Joseph is saying, no, God sent me ahead to preserve, to prepare the way for Jesus, to preserve Israel, and specifically to preserve the line of Judah, because God wants to save the world, and this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> it's not a rags to riches story, it's a John the Baptist story. In other words, Joseph didn't endure all this suffering just so he could have all this blessing for himself. If you read through the Joseph story and you read it through the lens of Jesus, you realize the Joseph story isn't ultimately about Joseph. It's really about Judah. I mean, you read through Genesis and you're, because, because what's the bigger story of Genesis? How do we get back to Eden? How do we get to a place of flourishing? How do we get a place where death is no longer our enemy? How do we get back to Eden? Well, we were told early on that this, the seed of the woman has to come. A child needs to be born of a woman. And the, and the suffering, the, the, this, this, this seed, the snake will bite the heel of this, this child, but this child will crush the head of the serpent. And so you're reading through Genesis, if you're keeping the, you're not getting lost in the Joseph story, you're keeping the big story in front of you, and you're always wondering, who's the seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent? And you're reading through the end of Genesis, and you're like, well, it's got to be Joseph. He's amazing. It's not Joseph. It's Judah. <laughs> it's Judah. And Joseph's part to play in the big story of salvation history is to prepare the way for Jesus, to preserve the line of Judah. That's what Joseph is doing. The point of the Joseph story is to prepare the way for Jesus. That's the work. Now, let me go one more step because I told you I want to kind of counter maybe some of the stories we believe even from modern-day Babylon. As I told you, in basically one move, Joseph goes from dungeon to the palace of Pharaoh. And Joseph doesn't say God did this. I mean, in what I just read to you, he does not say God did this to reward him for his faithfulness. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph does become a huge success, but that is not the point of the story. As I said earlier, for many people, many people in our world today, maybe even for you, that's the end of the story. I'm a success. Once upon a time, pit, prison, and then palace in the end. <laughs> but for those who want to serve God, that is never the end of our story. Because if you want to serve God, the end is never you. That's serving yourself. Now, Joseph makes it clear his remarkable success can be attributed to God, but it was all a setup for what really matters. For Joseph not to be successful, but to be significant in the work that God is doing in the world and to contribute to the flourishing of other people. Joseph's dream in the end, actually when everyone's bowing down to him, it's not about Joseph being great. It's about Joseph finding himself in a place where he can contribute to the flourishing of other people, where he can save lives. That's why he's so great. Going from rags to riches is never the end of the story if God is in it. It's not about that. So let me say it this way as well. If God gives you some success in life, and I hope he does. I have no reason to root against you. <laughs> I hope God gives you some success in life, but don't make the mistake of thinking it's about you and just for you to sit back and enjoy your own success 
and your own blessing. God is probably trying to set you up so that you can be a blessing to others. If God's blessed you, don't just sit back and absorb the blessing. Look around you and ask, God, who am I to bless? If you're in a season of your life and you're on top, then who can you lift up with you? I mean, if you're a success, who can you help? That's, I mean, I think that's a story. I mean, it's ultimately about Jesus, right? But then, but, but then we say, that's, I mean, that, that's, what, that, that's, some, that's some of what we learn from Joseph. That's the story. And one last thing. We're going to look at this final theme of forgiveness. Genesis chapter 50. Pretty profound part of the story. After burying Jacob, the, their father dies. Joseph returns to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But I want you to see this. Now that, remember, Joseph's brothers, that's what I said at the beginning, his brothers human trafficked him. So now that, now that his, their father's dead, they're like, oh no, they're afraid. They're, they become fearful. They say, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back. I want to add the words in full. Pay us back in full for all the wrong we did to him. Pay us back in full. Now, why would they think that? Because that's how humanity works. I mean, if you've been reading through the story of Genesis, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. This is what, this is, now that we are broken and in rebellion against God, this is what it means to be sinful. You do wrong to me, I mean, one, one avenue of being sinful. You do wrong to me, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to avenge my name. I'm going to make you hurt. What does Lamech say earlier in Genesis? 77 times over. I mean, this is what's happened in humanity. And this is all the world will know unless this God of love decides to move. And he's moved. He's been with Joseph. He's revealed his faithful love to Joseph even in the darkest moments. Joseph has a different story. right? He's obviously living out a different story for him to even say what he said to his brothers. No, God intended this so that I could care for you. I mean, you are the worst brothers ever, but God did this so I could care for you. So they send this message to Joseph, before your father died, he instructed us, I don't even know if this is true or not, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sins. Now, it's interesting, it says when Joseph received the message, he breaks down and he weeps. And I I was just thinking through, I mean, and we'll talk a little bit about this, and then we'll be done. But if you've ever forgiven anyone who's really hurting you, really hurting you, really hurt you, I just really hurting you when I'm talking up here. But, but if, you, if you've ever forgiven anyone who's really hurt you, you've probably shed some tears because it's hard to forgive. I just imagine that as, even as his brothers are asking for forgiveness, it just, I just imagine this memory flashback of 13 years of being human trafficked. And there's no, there's no way to put like a nice silver lining on it. It was awful. It was painful. It was devastating. God kept him alive. But those tears are real tears. And Joseph weeps. Now, it's also possible, though, that he's weeping because, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but if you've ever been forgiven and then forgiven someone else, you know what you learn? 
You know what always comes with genuine forgiveness? Freedom. And it's also possible that these are just tears of joy and gratitude. Joseph is saying, I am so free from the devastation of my sin that I don't have to reach for vengeance. I have been forgiven, and I can forgive others. And Joseph knows the freedom that comes. I don't have to live in bitterness and jealousy and anger at my brothers. I'm free of that. I don't know. There's lots of reasons probably why he's weeping, but he weeps. And then you get the the fulfillment of his dream. His brothers throw themselves down. They bow before Joseph. We're your slaves, they say. And listen to what Joseph says. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And this is kind of the Genesis version of Romans 8, 28. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Why did he do this? So that I can help others. Don't be afraid. I will. I mean, imagine this. This is, this is supernatural generosity, folks. You literally sold me to my death. Maybe worse than death. I don't know. But I will continue to take care of you and your children. I mean, that should move you. It moves me. That is, I mean, that is what we call in, 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 in Christian circles. You know what we call that? We call that holy. You know why we call that holy? Because it's other. That's not normal. To forgive that kind of devastation and then to go beyond that and, and to bless those who cursed him. <laughs> Sounds like Jesus, right? I mean, that's the Joseph story. Joseph is introducing forgiveness. And a few years ago, I preached a series on forgiveness. And I, I used a book kind of as my framework as a book called Radical Forgiveness. And one of the One of the chapters in the book, I revisited it this week, is called No Future Without Forgiveness. Now, there's more to that phrase and that title. If you read the book, you'll understand more of the story. But I remembered the story. I remember reading that phrase, No Future Without Forgiveness, and the author connects that phrase to the story of Joseph and just raises the hypothetical question, what happens to the story of Israel if Joseph doesn't forgive his brother? What happens to God's redemptive work in the world? Now, it's hypothetical, right? But it's just what happens to God's redemptive work in the world if Joseph pays back his brothers in full? It's a very different future. And so as you and I talk about, you know, this dream, what's this, what's this dream? A dream, a promise that we sing about peace on earth. Do you want peace on earth? I want peace on earth. Well, one of the things the Bible tells us over and over again is if there's going to be peace on earth, then you and I are probably going to be the agents of the kingdom who introduce the world to the ways of love and forgiveness that we've learned from our king. We're going to be the ones who bring holy, other, supernatural forgiveness into a world that only knows payback and vengeance. It's radical and it's hard. And I wanted to say this because you might be entering into a space in the next couple weeks where you're around. Sometimes the people who have hurt us the most are family members. So you might be entering into a space where you're going to be in, in, in the room with people that you haven't forgiven yet. And I want to point out, it's probably about 22 years later when Joseph is saying, I forgive you to my brothers. I doubt he forgave them year one or year two. I mean, for these deep, painful atrocities that we've experienced, it takes time. But my point is, can you hold on to the dream in the midst of the struggles? 
And can you maybe commit in a variety of ways to not acting out vengeance on your enemies and your family, you know? And maybe that means not saying something really rude or nasty to them. In my, in my, in my personality, it means not being overly passive-aggressive. That's how I kind of try to exert control. I get passive-aggressive, and I distance myself from you, and I want you to know it. I, I learned that growing up. I'm really good at it. It's not the Jesus way. I'm trying to learn the Jesus way. But I want to honor the reality that, that forgiveness is a struggle, and it takes time, especially for those really, really, really hard ones. But hang in there. Don't pull the tools of vengeance. Keep coming to Jesus again and again. And over time, he will bring that forgiveness. He will remind you of what he's forgiven you of. And he will teach you how to forgive. And you'll be free. You'll be free. And being free in Christ, oh, it's beautiful, folks. So, quick summary and then I'll pray. Where do we find Jesus in the Joseph story? The whole story bears the contours of the Jesus story. It's a gospel story because of how it anticipates the story of Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus is the beloved son of the father. Although destined for lordship, was first scorned by his own people, betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles, and cast into the pit of death. Like Joseph, he was not forgotten by God. He was raised out of the pit on the third day and exalted to the right hand of God, where his name is lifted above all names. And Jesus comes to us and says, I have forgiven you. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you. Amen? Would you bow your heads? I want to just pray quickly. Pray a variety of things from this. Lord, first of all, I want to pray for those of us who don't have any dreams this morning. And Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to begin to inspire dreams within us. Uh, Many of us sometimes find ourselves in a pit and it feels like a dead end. But Spirit of God, remind us this morning that you are the God of resurrection and death itself is no longer a dead end for humanity. So for those of us who are struggling with hope and dreams, Spirit of God, would you inspire us? Would you give us hope? For those of us in the pit this morning, and some of us are in the pit this morning, I know it, we need encouragement. Spirit of God, would you comfort us? Would you heal us? Would you restore us? Would you encourage us? But we're not all in the pit. Some of us are in a place of success right now. And I pray sincerely, God, for those of us beginning to succeed, that we would not fall for the trap of thinking that 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 is the end. That, that life is a fairy tale of rags to riches, and if we are successful, that's what it's all about. Because I know, I think the Bible tells us that if we settle there, we will rot there. So for those of us who are tasting success, beginning to succeed, we know something of success. Would we, Spirit of God, would you inspire us to look around and see those that we can help? And Jesus, we want to thank you for forgiving our sins. Surely forgiveness is holy, it's other, it's radical, it's different. We thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. And we pray that you would give us both the courage, the strength, and I will say the faith, because it takes faith to believe that forgiveness is the way forward. (laughs) Would we have the faith to believe and trust you and be people who forgive as well? It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.